Welcome again to H2O Church. We are so glad you're here. My name is Matt Party, one of the pastors here. Happy Easter. Very excited to be together. Thank you, band, for that awesome time of worship. You know, uh, we celebrate these times of Easter to remember the good news, the sweetness of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have hope, so that we could have that sweetness of life in our hearts that he loves us and he wants to forgive us. One of the things that we do to celebrate this, maybe you've done this with your families, but my wife and I sometimes have hidden those Easter eggs around our property outside and let the kids go look for the little cheap little plastic eggs, right? If you've done this before, to kind of remind them of the sweetness of Easter. And uh, we're in a place now we have a little bit more space. And the last few years, we've been hiding more and more eggs around our property because we have almost a uh, little less than two acres of land. And what I've noticed is we're finding these eggs weeks and months after Easter, uh, we thought we could, uh, you know, figure out where they all were, but we didn't. Now, I kind of like that because I kind of like, you know, weeks and months later finding the little plastic eggs that have been blown around or they kind of fell into some weeds and we just didn't know they were there. And you find these, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'll check to see is the candy still good inside of them and maybe I'll eat them. Uh, you know, sometimes we put some quarters in there. Of course, they're good. If we put gum in there, that does not weather well. The jelly beans do not weather well. Sometimes they break, break, break open and the rain and the weather get in there and ruin them. But the ones that I really like that are preserved pretty well months later are the Rolos. The Rolos that have the little foil wrapping. And so, uh, you know, having that little sealed egg is preserving something sweet. And we have these holidays like this to, to ask us a reflective question. Is the sweetness of the gospel preserved in our own hearts? Just like it's fun to kind of find that egg and open it up and say, oh man, the weather and the storms and the heat have not ruined what's inside that egg. It's still sweet. It's still something to enjoy. And we have this time of the year to look at our own hearts and say, is the message of the gospel still sweet in your heart today? Or has the weather come in and, and brought disappointment? Has it brought doubt into our hearts? And so this is a time to remind us of the resurrection and the hope that is in Christ even though all these things are going on around us, we can still have hope and we can still have the joy in our hearts. Now, we're also going through this series here at H2O called the I Am series, which you probably see in your notes there. And the one that we're on today is that Jesus said this bold statement, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And that's what we're diving into here today. And just to set this up, this is in John chapter 11 where they're talking about the death of Lazarus. And just like Alfonso and Catherine were talking about, how in the world can we have hope in death? It's because Jesus said he was the resurrection. He proved that by overcoming death in Lazarus' life, by raising him to, to life. And then Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and rose from the grave. And in this scene, let me just set it up for you before we read John 11, starting in verse 17. What's happened here is Lazarus is this dear friend of Jesus. Jesus was very close to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were siblings. And word got to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, and he's on his way, and Lazarus has passed away during these days. 
and they're very upset. At this, at this tomb, there's weeping. There's sorrow. People have gathered around. And Jesus weeps. This is the one uh, verse in this chapter here where it says that Jesus wept. And we get to see the emotion of Jesus joining with all these other people that were disappointed in what had happened. Have you ever felt disappointed in life? Have you ever felt let down? Have you ever felt broken hearted? This message is for us. And this is how they were feeling at this moment. And it says this, we're going to jump in at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She didn't quite understand what he was meaning there. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He poses this question to her. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I can overcome death and not only give you this eternal hope that our soul is going to live on and He wants to save us and bring us into an eternal life? He says, but do you also believe I can raise Lazarus from the dead? I have power over all these things, including physical death. And she didn't quite understand what he meant at this moment. And later on in this chapter, he prays out loud and he says, God, I'm, I'm praying to you, my father, not just for our sake, so that the people around me can hear the truth that I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to call him out to prove this to them. And again, there's all this weeping. There's disappointment. There's sorrow. There's even some questioning and doubt. And there's these, these things thrown at Jesus like, why weren't you here? Jesus, if you would have been here, things could have been different. And boy, I can relate to that. I hope that that resonates with you. We can, we can look at God and we can be honest and say, Jesus, if you were in this situation, things would have been different. Where were you? And this is what they were feeling. And Jesus wept with them. Because Jesus didn't like that death was happening on earth. He doesn't like all the disappointments that happen to us. When we cry out to God and we say, God, I'm disappointed. I'm having doubts about what's going on in my life. What are you doing? God often responds. He's, he's, he's spoken in my heart and said, I know. This is not what I intended for humanity. But I want to give you hope. I'm going to resurrect these things. I'm going to make things new. In my time and in my way, I'm going to give you hope. And he says to Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And Lazarus walks out. And the people are amazed. And they're blown away. And they have hope again. 
And this was such a powerful event that later on in the book of John, when Jesus is sitting there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, this man risen from the dead, the Pharisees were outside thinking, this is so significant of an event, we cannot let this man live. We have to kill him. Because he's bringing all these followers to himself. He's got power over the dead. And this is affecting our power structure. So now we are going to have to crucify him. And even in the midst of resurrection and hope, there's still people doubting. And there's still people trying to ruin this situation. And you know that's so true even today. With all the truths of the gospel, with all the apologetics, with all the evidence that this really did happen, there's still people that don't believe. There's still people that have doubts. I was reading this quote by Richard Dawkins. Maybe you know him. He's a very famous atheist, a huge skeptic of Christianity, loves to ridicule our faith, and doesn't believe a thing of it. And this is a quote by him. It's so wrong, but listen to what he says. Presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die, we decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. That's what he believes. That is the reality of what some people believe out there. That this amazing holiday, this sacred event for us when we celebrate the truth of the resurrection that's changed everything. If the resurrection isn't true, then we are just wasting our time here. But we believe in our minds and in our hearts that the evidence points to the resurrection of Christ. But there are people like Richard Dawkins that think it's ridiculous because they don't want to take an honest look at what really did happen and why we believe. And why our mind isn't just checked out when we believe this happens. So we might say, well, why do we believe? Why do we believe these things? And there's so many great apologetics that you could read and understand about why the resurrection really happened. I just put a few up here um, on the screen. But one of the biggest things that we can point to is these dated prophecies in the Old Testament. It is a fact. These documents that were written and prophesied in the Old Testament, over 300 of them, that pointed to what Messiah was going to look like, and Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies so that we would know he wasn't just making something up, that he wasn't a liar or a lunatic like we talked about last week. But these Old, Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled that give us hope and understanding that it's real. When we look at the life and the love and the words of Jesus, it doesn't match up. If the things that he said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the resurrection, I'm the door, I am the answer for your sins. All these things that he said and the love that he had for people and the miracles would not match up with something that wasn't true. Obviously, the resurrection that Jesus went through. And then one of the most compelling things is the martyrdom of the disciples. These men... Peter, John, James, and all these other disciples gave their life for the truth that they witnessed a resurrection. If they had stolen that body and hid it away, or if they just weren't sure, would they go through martyrdom? Would they go to their very death being tortured and ridiculed and punished and whipped, saying, man, We'd love to deny this, but we can't. We saw him crucified. We buried him, and he came to us. 
We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. These are just some of the apologetics of why this is so true. But you know, to comfort us and to help those people around us that have doubts, we realize, you know, people in the Bible, people close to this had their doubts too because it was such an amazing miracle to believe. We're going to read in John chapter 20 about the resurrection and even to see Mary struggling with this, trying to understand what had happened. Now remember, Jesus told Mary and many of the others, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified for your sins, but I will rise again. He spoke this to them on many occasions, which is incredible. So then it actually happens. Easter morning comes, the body is resurrected, Jesus is alive, and we're going to pick up in John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and one at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord. She didn't think he had risen. They thought they had moved the body, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means in Hebrew, teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Mary even being told this incredible information that he was going to rise again, didn't understand what was happening until he reveals himself to her and she believes. And she goes and tells the disciples and they believe. But some of them don't believe. And some of them are wrestling with this. Could this really be true? And it's so important for you and I to embrace that and to understand that, that there are going to be times in our Christian faith where circumstances or things happen that we are doubting. And we're thinking, gosh, is this really true? And God wants us to wrestle with that. He wants us to embrace that and understand that there are really great reasons, but we have to be able to learn. We have to be able to understand. We have to be able to research and really be able to be Christians that can go out into the world and explain why we believe. Explain the rationality of the truth of the gospel. I was reading about this guy. I see a picture of him here, Nabil Qureshi. He's a guy that grew up Islam. And he just had all these intellectual questions. Very spiritual man. But always was wrestling with questions and had all these hurdles in life. And he just began to research religions and understand the deeper meanings of, of these things and start to look back at some of the evidence. And his research led him to put his faith in Christ. And he was a really influential guy. He joined up with the Ravi Zacharias evangelistic uh, movement, and he was out all over the world sharing the gospel with people. He went up to Dearborn, Michigan um, at, at one point, and he was sharing the gospel at this Islamic conference. He was asking them questions, and they were videotaping it for a show. 
And he was just so bold in his faith that Jesus really did die and rise again and that the evidence pointed to it that they arrested him in Dearborn, Michigan for this commotion because he was out there talking to these people in such bold ways. And when they took him to court before the judge and the jury, they had the videotape because they were videotaping the whole thing for a show. And it was like, this guy was kind and loving. He did nothing wrong, and he was found innocent. He was so bold in the things that he found that he wanted to tell the world. At a young age of 34, he got stomach cancer just a couple years ago and died. And on his deathbed, he said, I... I know the sovereign Lord is calling me home. And he was so thankful that he had put his faith in Jesus and he knew he was going to be risen to life with the Lord. And this is what he says. Here's his quote. After studying the historical origins of the Christian faith, I came to these conclusions that Jesus died on the cross is as certain as anything historical can be. And that he rose from the dead is by far the best explanation for the events surrounding his death. And that Jesus claimed to be God is the best ex explanation for the immediate Christian proclamation of Jesus' deity. Putting it all together, Jesus, is, Jesus claimed to be God and he proved it by raising from the dead. The case for Christianity is powerful. Despite my ardent desire to believe in Islam, I had to admit that history was in favor of the Christian claims and even more reluctantly that it challenged my Islamic teachings. And he put his faith in Christ. And again, for you and I to be comforted that it is okay to walk into these questions. Because as great as our questions are, the Bible and the evidence has even greater explanations for our doubts, so that we can go out there in confidence. Whenever I think about the doubts that come in, I think about Thomas. Thomas is kind of famous for his doubts. As I had just mentioned, Mary said she's going to go back and tell the disciples. She delivers this message, Jesus is alive. A few uh, short amount of time later, the disciples are uh, huddled together, scared, and Jesus appears to them. Jesus allows them to touch him, to know this is just not some kind of dream. His physical body was raised to life. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas walks back in at some other point, and they're like, you're not going to believe this, Thomas. We saw Jesus. We touched him. He said what probably any other person would say, you're crazy. I don't believe you. And he says the famous verse, unless I touch his hands with those holes in it, and I touch his side, I will not believe You've got to give me proof or I'm not going to believe. I will not believe your word. Here's what it says in Luke 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, that's a word from Jesus to us. Blessed are us 
that believe this. Even though we didn't get to see him and touch him like Thomas did. And I love this painting by Hendrik Bruggen kind of capturing this moment. If you really look at the beauty of this painting and Thomas investigating here, you know, he's like really looking. You can almost see in his eyes like, is this really true? This, this belief of, is this really what happened? And another guy that was just such a great seeker that really affected my life was Josh McDowell. Here's a picture of Josh McDowell. In the late 90s, uh, maybe early 90s, Josh McDowell, who worked with Campus Crusade, has written a lot of great books. He came to BGSU. Uh, I was a young Christian at the time, and Campus Crusade invited Josh McDowell to come and speak here. The, the uh, Anderson Arena, which was the basketball court at that time, was packed, just absolutely packed to see Josh McDowell. And he was doing this amazing book tour and had all these amazing things to say to young people. It really impacted my life in a major way. And Josh McDowell wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict because Josh McDowell was an agnostic. He thought the Christian claims were ridiculous. And so he went out to research and he put this book together. If you haven't read that book, I encourage you to read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. It's fantastic. Josh McDowell even talks about how um, later on uh, this guy, the skeptic, another skeptic, went into a Christian bookstore and he said to the, the uh, bookstore owner, give me your best book on the apologetics of the resurrected Christ. He gave him evidence that demands a verdict. He said, why are you reading this book? And the guy said, I'm writing a dissertation to disprove Christianity and I want to just tear this book to pieces. The guy came back in two weeks as a Christian, and the bookstore owner baptized him after reading that book. He really loved the intellectual side of all this and the history and the understanding of things. And he talks about this important moment that we all need to come to where we come to this understanding of the forgiveness of the cross and why the cross is so important. And Josh McDowell says this, my pastor had told me that forgiveness doesn't mean justifying or condoning what he did, but it would begin the process of freeing me from my past and would offer a lost person the opportunity for redemption. You see, one of the most difficult things about people coming to the cross and admitting the resurrection and what the cross represents is that you and I admit we need something. You and I admit that we are empty without God in our lives. We come to the cross and we recognize that we need that because we've made so many mistakes in life that we need forgiveness and we need redemption. And that humble approach to the resurrection and the cross is very difficult for many. That's why we have those doubts. We have those disappointments in life and we think, I just don't want to face this. I don't want to face and acknowledge that I need a Savior in my life. And so you and I, as we come to the cross, as we think about these things this morning, we have to examine our own hearts and just ask ourselves, what's in there? What's in there right now that needs to be emptied out so that Christ can really come in and fill me. Because we are a culture that wants to fill our hearts with everything else besides God, right? We hate that empty feeling. 
We hate the disappointment. We hate the discomfort. So we just try to fill ourselves, whatever it might be. You know, entertainment. We, we think, okay, sex, entertainment, money, self-achievement, food, whatever it is. Just stuff it in there and maybe I won't feel so empty anymore. And we hate emptiness. And what the cross is saying is, I want you to embrace that emptiness. I want you to recognize there's this hole inside of us that only God can fill. There's that God-shaped vacuum in all of us that only He can fill. And we can waste our whole life trying to escape, trying to fill it with everything else to try to feel better. And God is just saying, I'm here. Would you let me fill you? But to get to that place, we need to be emptied out. We need to say we're sorry. We need to recognize there's things in there that shouldn't be in there. And that's a really humbling thing. We can't just keep what's there and try to add Jesus to it. We need to truly be repentant and emptied out. You know, not long ago, um, I was wanting to kind of splurge and celebrate. And I went down here to Grounds for Thought to get my favorite coffee. They have Kenya Double A, which is my favorite coffee. I love coffee. So I got the beans. I was going to even go home and grind them, you know, so they're fresh. Really getting excited about this experience to enjoy the Kenya Double A. And uh, I get home. I got some filtered water. Okay, I'm really going to town here, you know, to enjoy this cup of coffee. I grind up the Kenya Double A. I load up the coffee. I put in the filtered water. I push brew. I come back five minutes later, there's coffee spilling all over the counter, coming down the counter onto the floor. I'm so disappointed. I'm thinking, what is going on? I had not emptied the carafe of old coffee that was in there from the night before. I was so bummed. I even tried to salvage it, what was in it. It was like half a pot of just cold, probably nasty Folgers or something, you know? And my Folgers that's cold is mixed with this Kenya AA, and I taste it. It's lukewarm. It's lousy. I was like, ah, oh, this is so not cool right now. And I had to start all over again. You know, sometimes we try to take our old life, and we try to mix in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is we need to truly empty out that vessel so that we can be filled Ephesians 5 says this so clearly. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This Ephesians passage reminds us about alcohol, but it really reflects this whole book, this whole chapter is about emptying ourselves out of the things of the world so that the Spirit can fill us and give us that new life and that hope that we long for. We're going to sing a song right now called Living Hope. And I want to read some lyrics to you that we're going to be singing here in a moment. It says, Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. 
if there's things in your heart today that um, need to be emptied out so that you can enjoy the hope of the resurrection, I encourage you to do that just between you and the Lord because these things can have a grip on us and hold us back from the freedom of what Jesus wants to give us. So let's pray and ask him to do that in our hearts as the band comes up to sing.